0: Don't let your legacy IT systems cost you money, innovation, and a place at the digital table of the future. You can change your systems and the economics of IT with software from Red Hat. See how at RedHat.com.
1: More than 1.5 million people drive for the global ride-sharing juggernaut
2: Uber. They're always available day and night, taking us where we want to go. But is driving for Uber a productive, profitable way to make a living? Does Uber come through on its promises to drivers? It provides much-needed income for college students, the recently
1: retired, and the unemployed. But half the driving gets done by people working more than 35
2: hours a week. These people often fight to make ends meet. The hours are long and the returns can be meager. Today we're exploring the sensitive relationship between Uber and its
1: drivers. Our story starts back in the fall of 2010 when Uber was just starting out in the golden city by the bay, San Francisco.
2: One of the first Uber drivers was a soft-spoken immigrant in his mid-30s named Sofian Oualli, an Algerian former safety specialist in the oil industry. Like many immigrants to the US, Sofian found work in the taxi and limousine industry. A
1: fleet owner gave him a smartphone with the Uber app and a pearl white 2003 Lincoln
3: Town Car. To get people to like the car, because it's white uh, and the, the, the whole system was black. so it's.
2: At that time, car. all Uber's cars were black. This car stood out. In fact, as Sofian tells us, Uber initially wanted him to change the car.
3: Even Uber got in in touch with me to to try to to convince me to to change the car. And I was like, if if the car changes, I am not here to. Because you had no other option. Exactly, I had no no other option. And I started to to build some riders' esteem to that car. Uh, And how I did that, it it was like telling my riders that, This is the only single white car in the whole... You branded the car. Exactly, I branded the car, exactly.
2: Pretty soon, Uber's customers were tweeting about the car and reviewing it on Yelp, hoping that they would call an Uber and get Sofian's majestic white ride. There was something magical about Sofian's car,
1: and someone, who it was exactly is lost to history, decided to call it the Unicorn.
2: Hi, I'm Brad Stone. And I'm Eric Newcomer. Welcome to this week's episode of Decrypted. Now Brad, come clean. The timing of this podcast isn't totally coincidental. Okay, right. My new book, The Upstarts, comes
1: out this week on January 31st. It's about the rise and rapid expansion of the global sharing economy juggernauts Uber and Airbnb, and the nearly nonstop
2: controversy and turmoil that they have left in their wake. Today's story of Sophion and the unicorn is drawn from Brad's book. And through Sophion's experience, we'll dig into the skills that
1: all entrepreneurs, including Uber drivers, need to make it in a rapidly changing business world.
2: We'll also look specifically at what Uber offers its drivers and ask whether one of Silicon Valley's most celebrated successes is living up to its mission of helping drivers generate self-sustaining income.
1: Sofian is one of the world's most prolific Uber drivers. He's been there since the beginning and says he's driven around 30,000 rides. Now that's 5,000 rides a year, more than 415 rides a month, more than 83 rides a week, working six days a week. Not to be glib, but uh, that's a lot of sitting down. It is. So it's San Francisco in the fall of 2010. Even in Uber's
2: early months, Sofian implicitly understood its potential. Customers loved it. Drivers didn't waste as much time sitting around, waiting for fares. And the app was easy to use, so newcomers to the city could seamlessly find their way around. In the beginning, Sofian says it just paid the bills. But after a while, the money started pouring in. Sofian was like a lot of early Uber drivers. He saw the company as a platform on which he could build a business. Uber encouraged this. Travis Kalanick, Uber's CEO, boasted about drivers who were building fleets of cars on the Uber system. After
1: seven months, Sofian left the fleet and took over the unicorn's lease from the owner. Then he started
2: taking loans out, leasing new town cars and hiring new drivers. His company was called Global Way Limousine because he had aspirations to expand around the world. And business was good. He told you he was making 700 or $800 a day? Right. He was doing that by taking commissions from his drivers who were
1: driving his cars for Uber. Meanwhile, Sofian kept driving the Unicorn, which was getting famous in the city. And at the same time, you've got this car that's kind of a local celebrity, right? The, exactly. The Unicorn. Did exactly. you find that people wanted the Unicorn, that they were trying to hail it?
3: Oh, yes, definitely. I mean, a lot of people uh, who I get every day, they, they all... The the ones who love it, they all say, "How how could we? How can we uh, get you every day as our driver?" But unfortunately, the, the Uber system doesn't allow uh, allow people to have that option.
1: Well, that might have been some of the magic of the unicorn <laughs> that it could only show up like a real unicorn. It, it can only sh- it can only
3: show up through uh, circumstance, exactly through luck. Exactly, that's what I say when when I find people who doesn't like that.
2: And then the ground shifted under his feet. In the fall of 2013,
1: following rivals like Lyft and Sidecar, Uber introduced a ride-sharing service called UberX that let anybody with a driver's license pick up a passenger with their own
2: vehicle as long as they met certain criteria. And with the rollout of UberX, Uber started lowering prices, and it kept on lowering them. Travis, the
1: CEO of Uber, raised a fortune in venture capital. He was using price as a weapon to grow quickly and outpace rivals with less money. There was also a bigger mission. He said that Uber would replace car ownership. Right, but Travis is above all else a competitor. He wanted to make sure Uber, not Lyft or anyone else, dominated the market for ride sharing.
2: It took a while for Sophion to feel the effects of these changes.
1: Riders slowly migrated from Uber Black to the cheaper alternatives – Uber black rates fell. Each ride became less profitable. But worst of all, Sofian's drivers eventually figured out that they shouldn't be giving him a commission at all, but driving their own cars directly for Uber.
3: So when UberX rolled down, I uh, I was thinking to find other ways how to how to balance up my my business with the changes. So so the business uh, kept being good up. Up to to the first, I would say, to the first quarter of uh, of 2014, and then it started. You, we started to uh, to feel the, the the effect of UberX, you know. So uh, prices started to drop down, and uh, maybe the demand was the same, but prices started to drop down because of the the, the UberX launch. So from there, I I felt that it was a turning point for the uber system uh, not necessarily on the, on the bad way i would say uh, i would say uh, knowing the business from the beginning i i had to take some some action to to not lose money
1: what about your drivers did they start to leave and go out on their own because there was this opportunity to use their own cars and oh just-
3: definitely you have you have you have uh, this pressure from your drivers to uh, to go away from you because the, there is that that opportunity to and and honestly you don't have any choice then of course encouraging the drivers just being nice with them and uh make as much as business they can with you and then encourage them to go you know so because because it's open for them by
1: 2014, Sofiane had shut down his business, Global Way Limousine. But it's remarkable that he really understands why Uber made these changes and is at peace with it.
3: There was a huge, huge demand from, from customer, customer side and a huge demand from Uber to encourage people to, to have fleets at the beginning. But when the business started to change and policies change and prices started to go down a little bit, they had this idea which is a brilliant idea and i i i I totally understand it drivers are more happy being their their own to be to be your own boss you know so i think that that what makes uber change uh, change their their policies to not encourage people to have to have fleets anymore because the drivers are more happy happier when they have their own car and their own business and to be honest it's a good decision it's a good decision from them because uh, the company is healthier this way than it used to be because some of the partners who had fleets and uh, a lot of drivers uh, I can't tell you. My drivers, they were happy, but not all drivers who were driving for someone they were happy. So. Well, because they were sharing their income. Exactly, they were sharing their income, and sometimes without any any good business criterias, you know. So they are sharing it. Uh, there was a lot of injustice in there, you know. So. I saw things uh, from from partners who had fleets. That's that's sometimes you hire they hire drivers and they give them like a very very low the lowest portion from from the business they had. They they were doing it in percentages, and the percentage they give them it's it's just very low. So let's say let's say the the partner who hires ten drivers, they give deals that that are not in the favor of the driver it's there is no balance to help uh, to help a driver uh, so they were given let's say for an example 70% 30% deal so the owner of the car takes 70% and the uh, the driver takes 30% which is not not right so at this point, Brad is Sofian still riding that white unicorn? Well, Eric, we'll
2: get to that. But yeah, Sofian was now working for himself, driving for Uber Black, trying to make it
1: in Uber's new economic reality. The days of seven hundred dollars a day earnings were a thing of the past. How much are you making now per day?
3: I would say it's an average of 350, mm-hmm. three fifty, three three fifty. $300, $350, which is still pretty pretty good. It's pretty good, but know? it sounds like which half
1: is... of what you were making in the, in the heyday.
3: Yes, but I would say, let me tell you this. I would say back in the day, it wasn't normal. The prices were... And there was very little competition. Was, yes, little competition, and it was, to be honest, it was overpriced. I mean, for someone to take an Uber, an Uber Black, which is the only option on the system... Take an Uber, an Uber Black from the financial district to, to North Beach for 25 bucks. That's, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money.
2: It sounds like Sofian is happy being his own boss, working for Uber Black, making a decent living. Well, his story is a
1: bit of an aberration. There are many drivers who work for UberX and other Uber services who struggle to make ends meet and don't make much above minimum wage.
2: Up ahead, we'll zoom in on that struggle so many drivers are facing, and we'll see what Uber is doing to make things better for drivers. But first, a word from our sponsor.
0: Inside the most successful organizations, IT has gone from supporting the business to driving the business. But the costs of legacy infrastructure can impede this progress. Budgets can't stretch enough to pay for digital innovation at the speed required. No one gets a blank check. The answer is to change the economics of your IT by shifting from ownership to use, from licenses to subscriptions, from proprietary to open, change the economics of IT with open software from Red Hat. Learn more at RedHat.com.
1: Okay, we're back. Right before the break, we saw Sofian forced
2: to dismantle his dreams of running a global taxi fleet. And deal with a 50% pay cut. After Uber started rolling out cheaper services like UberX and UberPool, Chipping away at drivers' salaries.
1: Eric, you and Olivia Zaleski recently wrote an amazing story about one extreme some drivers now go to, trying to make ends meet: sleeping in their
2: cars in parking lots. Now, why would anybody possibly do this? You know, we talked to one driver who lives in Sacramento. Drives into San Francisco, slept at a Safeway, now McDonald's, worked all week. It's a way to maximize his income while keeping costs low. It's free to sleep in your car.
1: I can't imagine that they're smelling too good after a couple of days.
2: Well, some sneak off to a hostel or find a gym and take a shower. So is there anything Uber is doing to
1: incentivize this or to put it another way? Could they discourage it if they wanted to? What's sort of the
2: ultimate Uber value here, right? Flexibility. The drivers are free to do whatever they want. Uh, Lyft restricts drivers to 14 hours of working continuously. Uber drivers set their own schedule. It it makes me wonder if drivers are kind of locking themselves into a career and a lifestyle that's getting worse and worse and harder and harder over time. Drivers say their pay has gone down over time, and they're not really building up the skills to find another job. It feels to many of them like their career, as they've chosen, is getting worse and worse.
1: But we should point out that some of the drivers you guys spoke to were actually proud of the fact that they were sleeping in in parking lots and in camps at night, that they felt like they had kind of hacked the Uber system.
2: Yeah, they're taking fares when they're at their most lucrative, you know, late at night, early in the morning, building their schedule around sort of the commuter and the late-night millennial going out to a bar. So, so you know, they're, they're going into this pretty clear-eyed. Uh, to explore this further, I spoke with one of our favorites, the Rideshare Guy. Love the Rideshare Guy. <laughs> <laughs> He's one of the most prominent experts when it comes to sort of thinking about the best way to make a living as an Uber driver.
4: My name is Harry Campbell. I'm an Uber and Lyft driver and founder of the Rideshare Guy blog, podcast, and YouTube channel.
2: Harry has been driving for Uber and Lyft since 2014.
4: I pretty quickly realized that it's not the most difficult job in the world, but it's definitely a little bit more complex than it seems. And so I started a blog about my experience as a driver, what it was like getting signed up, what it was really like working for the services. And now we try to really highlight the good and the bad about being an Uber and Lyft driver.
2: When Harry started driving for Uber, drivers could make $30 to $40 an hour on weekend nights. And Uber was advertising drivers could make $90,000 a year. Right, although they recently settled the lawsuit about those kinds of exaggerated claims. Yeah, Uber paid a $20 million penalty to the Federal Trade Commission for misleading drivers about earnings and vehicle financing claims. So what does Harry, the rideshare guy, say about driving for Uber now? He says Uber has been changing all along. And not many drivers are as accepting of this as Sofian.
4: The only constant in this industry is change, just knowing that especially from a driver's perspective, I mean, what the strategies that you are using or the places you are driving or even the pay that you are getting six months, 12 months ago is not going to be the same today, right? And I think that's the big thing for a lot of drivers. Drivers don't like change. Nobody likes change, whether it's Uber pool or whether it's lower rates or whatever it might be. So you definitely have that side of the equation for drivers. And I mean, for drivers that have been doing this for a while, they've sort of seen a very big shift.
2: Is that sort of vision of the 90K a year salary Still a vision that drivers believe in today. How is sort of both the myth and the reality of being an Uber driver changed since you started uh, tracking the company?
4: Well, I don't think there are any drivers today that are going in or getting into Uber expecting to make anywhere near $90,000 a year. I think that if anything, Uber has had more publicity sort of against that notion than they have for it. And, you know, kind of like what I always say is that it's still a good opportunity for a lot of people. It is still one of the most flexible jobs in the world. You can log on and log off whenever you want. It's just that it's shifting more towards if you want to make the most amount of money, you need to log on during certain times. You need to drive certain places. And so it might seem like it's flexible, well-paying from the outside, but once you actually start doing it and you start driving, you do realize that Uber does control a lot of when and where you drive.
1: Eric, I've noticed this also from talking to Uber drivers. Why are they dissatisfied
2: with Uber Pool, as Harry suggests? Pool makes their lives harder. It's more complicated. The hardest part of being an Uber driver is picking up passengers and dropping them off and pool asks them to do much more of that an hour. There's the perception, at least, that they're making less money. Do you think that's right? The pay on pool is super confusing, and uh, it depends sort of who you trust. I think Uber would say when it works on an hourly basis, drivers are making more because they're getting more people in their cars. But drivers see that on a per passenger basis, they're making less passengers pay less in the hopes that they'll be able to cram multiple people. And in they may car. not always
1: have a full car. Exactly.
2: So last summer, Uber hired a new president, Jeff Jones, a marketing
1: exec at Target. And Jeff has called 2017 the year of the driver at Uber. What does
2: that mean exactly? Well, one, it means they're just going to communicate with drivers better. You know, you can see him tweeting at drivers, trying to answer their problems, posting on LinkedIn. They're going to improve their support so that drivers have someone they can reach out to. But this is an engineering company more and more, and Uber really thinks it can build tools to help drivers. That means, you know, when they want to head home, helping the route more efficiently, get them home with fares along the way. So they're getting paid for every hour. The more rides you can get, the more your per hour pay is going up, or at least staying the same. Uber has always, of course, paid lip service to drivers, but it feels to me that the key constituency has always been
1: riders, and that over the years, they've basically focused on lowering fares as almost a competitive
2: weapon to try to corner the market in ride-sharing. Yeah, Brad, you know this better than anybody. Uh, Uber is built around the founding story of serving the rider. It's about calling a car with a push of a button when you want to go out late at night. It's not a company that was built sort of to give employment to sort of hundreds of thousands in the United States alone uh, drivers. And so I think after the fact, they've sort of had to realize, oh, this is a two-sided marketplace. We need to celebrate riders and drivers. So what is Uber telling you right now about this new focus on drivers? I spoke with Nandu Janakaram, Uber's head of driver engagement, for the story about drivers who sleep in their cars. I thought it had relevance to this discussion. He said, The way to make more money on our platform, in general, and the
4: way that everyone makes more money is when the system becomes more efficient. So there is less time between trips for drivers. They're driving to um, you know, places that are closer by to pick up passengers or, or, um, or things like that. Expanding the number of different kinds of trips that they can take, so uh, Uber Eats and things like that. Like the more efficient our system gets for drivers, um, you know, the more that drivers feel engaged in our platform, and um, you know, the more that we can, uh, you know, keep driver earnings in a kind of stable place. And I think that's the big thing that we've been really pushing for from product perspective, which is how can we bring general kind of stability to earnings.
2: So, Eric, what does Harry Campbell think about some of these new driver programs? He's a bit skeptical. Uh, He believes there's one thing that can improve life for drivers, and that's more cash. Show me the money.
4: Yeah. A lot of people ask me what drivers care about, and honestly, drivers are just like everyone else. They care about, frankly, their money, right? How much they're getting paid. All of the top articles on my site have to do with how much you can earn, how to make more money. When we surveyed our audience, uh, pay was the number one thing that drivers cared about. So, I mean, I think that anything that can affect a driver's bottom line, and you know, if I'm sitting at Uber, those are the things that I'm looking at.
2: So, Brad, let's get back to Sofian Uwali and the unicorn of San Francisco. Is Sofian still driving? He is still driving. In fact, I took a ride with him recently. He's still a faithful Uber black driver,
1: and he's starting to work on a book sharing some of his tips about driving for Uber. And whatever happened to the unicorn? The unicorn actually met a tragic end. Here's Sofian describing to me what happened on a fateful Easter 2014.
3: So the unicorn... (laughs) That was a very sad end of story for the unicorn. So uh, one of my drivers actually. Uh, so this is what I do with my drivers when they have uh, any problem with uh, with their car, their own car that they are driving. I I just decide to give them my car, which is the unicorn. Of course, I gave the unicorn for uh, for one one of my drivers, and I got his car uh, to some maintenance. And I remember the day when I when I gave him the the unicorn. I said, "Hey, uh, please take care of, of my baby." And he said, "Okay, yes." <laughs> and uh, two or three hours later, oh no, he called me and then he said, "I got a, I got a, in an accident." I said, "No, <laughs> please don't oh, tell no. me that." And I. Uh, when I got there, I I saw the car and it was it was completely what happened totaled, you know. So uh, someone it was uh, the night of Easter, and uh, some drunk driver ran run red light, and uh, this guy hit him, you know. So he hit so he hit the unicorn. Oh, was everybody okay? <laughs> everybody was okay, yeah, fortunately, yeah. But the unicorn was totaled, so uh, and from. From then, I just decided to not to not buy another unicorn, you know, <laughs> so. And, then, and so ends the story of the white Lincoln Town Car. And that, that was the end, uh, the sad end story of the Lincoln Town Car.
1: That's sad. Yeah, in a weird way, Sofian accepts it, just as he accepts the changes to the Uber system and seems to understand why the company made them. Toward the end of our conversation, I asked him one last question. Do you ever dream about the Unicorn?
3: To be honest, yes. (laughs) Yes, I like that car. I love that car, but uh, it's a sad story, uh, the end of story, but I loved it. I loved the the whole experience, you know, so. The whole experience was just beautiful. Beautiful, so, no regrets.
1: Eric, when all is said and done, do you agree with Sofian? Do you think Uber has been a generous steward of this powerful platform for drivers? Or to put it another
2: way, has Uber been a benign dictator in the taxi world? I don't think I would ever use the word benign to describe Uber. I mean, they're sort of ruthless, economic, marketplace optimizers. You know, it's how can we get the most number of riders and drivers? And so when that's meant that they were getting plenty of drivers... And not enough riders, they would lower the fare, attract riders, and make life a lot more difficult for drivers who are hoping to pay their bills.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I think for a long time, the flywheel at Uber started with fares. If they lowered fares, they increased ridership, they put pressure on competitors, and they drew drivers to them. The problem is, and, and we both saw this over the past few years, it alienated drivers. Even if they were making as much or maybe even a little more money, and I don't know that that was the reality, they saw the decreased fares, and they got mad, and they protested. And Uber, over, over time, kind of developed a little bit of a poor record reputation with some of its hardest working drivers.
2: And now, obviously, they're trying to improve it. But I'd like to point out one more problem on the horizon. Uber probably lost $3 billion globally in 2016.
1: Wow, $3 billion. And that's, of course, counting the, the big China competition that they basically surrendered on.
2: Right. And they're losing money in the United States. So looking at those numbers, you might think Uber is paying drivers too much. Uber will need to do something about costs. Is this where we say only time will tell? Only time will tell.
1: Hey guys, it's Aki. I co-host and help produce this podcast. And as we were about to publish this episode, a series of things happened that made consumers question Uber CEO Travis Kalanick's relationship with President Trump. And also Uber stands on Trump's executive order banning visitors from certain countries. I'm sure you all saw the hashtag #deleteUber trending over your social media feeds. We ended up running out of time to discuss this in the depth that it really deserves. But our episode next week is going to be all about this, all about the executive order, the tech industry's response to it, and what it means for the companies that we cover going forward. So stay tuned. And that's it for this week's episode of Decrypted. Thanks for listening.
2: Tell us what you thought of the episode. Send us a voice message to our producer, Pia, at P-G-A-D-K-A-R-I at Bloomberg.net, or write to me on Twitter. I'm at Eric Newcomer. And I'm
1: at Brad Stone. Remember to check out my new book, The Upstarts, How Uber, Airbnb, and the Killer Companies of the New Silicon Valley Are Changing the World, available from Amazon.com or your friendly neighborhood bookstore. That's really shameless,
2: Brad. (laughs) Another book plug? Okay, I know, I know. You can subscribe to Decrypted on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And leave us a rating and a review. It helps more listeners find our show. This episode was produced by Pia Godkari,
1: Magnus Henriksson, and Liz Smith. Alec McCabe is head of Bloomberg Podcasts. We'll see you next week.
0: Don't let your legacy IT systems cost you money, innovation, and a place at the digital table of the future. You can change your systems and the economics of IT with software from Red Hat. See how at redhat.com.